This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, The Burt Show. If you have not seen the movie Saltburn on Amazon Video yet, don't listen to our bonus content because there are a lot of spoilers in our bonus content on Saltburn this week. And Abby also describes, like, the nastiest scenes in this movie, man. Did you see what they were passing out on the red carpet yes. at the Golden Globes? <laughs> they, uh, they had all the celebs smelling a candle that supposedly smells like Jacob Elordi's bathwater, oh, which man. is a Serious. joke you'll get if yeah. you watch Salt right. So there's that on our bonus content, and then Mo got berated at the airport by some stranger that actually helped Mo make his flight. So <laughs> if you missed any of that, you can catch it on our bonus content right now, thebirdshow.com slash bonus. B.S. All right, virtual listener Amy needs our help here. She is wondering if her boyfriend is being shady or not because he seems to be hanging out a lot with one woman at work and paying for lunch all the time. Is it shady or not? Is this one woman that he's consistently taking out for lunch? Um. Yeah, so, like, you know, like you mentioned, my boyfriend, he has his friend at work, and she... Um, she goes to lunch with him a lot, like multiple times a week. Like they always got to do taco Tuesday for lunch. And then, you know, at least two or three other times during the work week, like even when I pack him as lunch, you know, they're still having lunch together. And, um, sometimes they even go to dinner and for drinks after work. And anytime they go anywhere, if, if it involves paying for food and drinks, He's always the one that pays. And I asked him why, why he's always paying. And he says, oh, you know, just chivalry isn't dead. And Mm-mm. it's, uh, you know, I'm a gentleman and Mm-mm. I feel, you know, like I have to. And Mm-mm. I don't know if it's like a masculinity thing or what. But um, when even when the entire office goes out, that's the thing that gets me. is Even when the entire office get, goes out together, right? Like, uh, you know, businesses, they do their, you know, uh, company, company lunches and things like that. So he still pays for her. Like, there's other women in the office, too. He doesn't pay for any other women. So, you know, he said it was a chivalry thing. So, it, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a little weird. What do you guys think? Is this, like, <laughs> should this be, like, a red flag? All of us are like, hey, so, <laughs> I have a question. I have a question. Amy, would you consider this female coworker to be, like, a peer of his? Like, do they have a similar role? Are they similar ages? Or is she, like, maybe in a lower position? I don't know about lower position, but I know they work in, um, like, different departments. Like, they share the same office. Like, the office has, like, multiple floors and multiple levels, like, different, um, like, it's compartmentalized. I think I've been in there one time. But, like, um, I, I, they're in completely different departments. 
Because mm. I was going to say, I'm like, maybe if he's, if he makes like double her salary, maybe he's just being nice. Like, oh, I know she's in true level. I just want to help her out with this mojito. Have this you, is- have you met this well-fed bee? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, at one of the Christmas parties, I, I ended up going there. He hasn't been working there for a very long time. Um, uh, so like he started like, uh, early last year. And so I've been to a Christmas party, uh, that they hosted where they, you know, you can bring in wives and stuff or husbands or partners and things like that. And I, I have, I've seen her before. She seems lovely. Okay. Here, here's the deal, Amy. <laughs> this is so hella shady whether he intends for it to be shady or not. So when I first started in radio, I worked in promotions and I had more regular hours, right? And there was a group of us that went out to lunch. We called ourselves the Lunch Bunch. And we went out to lunch. I know, right? (laughs) Did you guys break off into like discussion groups on that and all came to the table with a different name? We literally went out to lunch together every single day. Mondays was Jersey Mike's. Two days was S Sandwich. Like we, we like we had our routine. And it was me and like, four or five other guys. It was a PD. It was an engineer. It was somebody else in promotions. Um, I was a lowly promotions coordinator. Never once did any of those dudes ever pay for my lunch. I always paid for my lunch. There's no reason for him to be paying for a coworker. It, like if you do it once as like, Hey, you know, thanks for helping me out with that project, blah, blah, blah. I want to, I want to pick that. That's fine. This and the, the fact, I'm not even mad at him. <laughs> I'm mad at her that she thinks it's okay nah. to make a coworker, or not make, but to have a coworker oh, nah. pay for her lunch. Go every, get yours, go. No. Yeah, right. I'm, not, I'm not turning down a free meal, yeah, Kristen. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. come yeah, yeah. Free on. Free food is free food. <laughs> get your own damn taco. Like, what is going on? Yeah, no, nah, that's on him. Uh, I don't think there's any way around this. This is extremely shady. Uh, I did. I had a lunch partner mm-hmm. once, and um, it was a woman, and we weren't together, and we alternated. That's just... It just made sense to do that, to pay right. every single time. Yeah. That's that's a little more than chivalry. And the fact that they haven't known each other long. You said he just started there at the end of last year. So you're doing this already? They don't even have, like, a long-term relationship. I, I think it's very shady. Yeah, I, I might pay for the very first time. But if this is a consistent thing at some point or another, maybe the second time, it's like, all right, we're going to split this, right? If there's nothing romantic about it at all. And the fact that when the whole office goes out, he's still paying for her, no. that's shady as hell. Very shady. Yeah, mm-hmm. very shady. And no, you don't split it. I pay for mine. You pay for yours. Yes. Yeah. Like it's, it's, there's no reason. I don't know why I'm getting so hyped about this. <laughs> you are. I, <laughs> you are mad for you and the entire lunch bunch. <laughs> <laughs> this goes against everything the lunch no. bunch stands for. No one messes with the lunch bunch. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> no, man, I understand. What is going on? You can't breach the integrity of the lunch bunch. <laughs> I'm putting myself in Amy's shoes, and if my husband was going out, and also, like, that adds up. That's a lot of freaking money Absolutely. by the end yeah. of the month that you're spending on somebody right. else's lunch. Like, get out of here. Yeah, Amy, you go to that man and say, no, absolutely not. It's totally shady, okay? Okay. Thank you so much for your help. I right, see you now. Bye-bye. Ugh, <laughs> that's going to irk me all damn day. <laughs> <laughs> The Bird Show. <laughs> all right, Abby came in here after vacation, surprised us all, and told you guys the same time she told us, uh, she ended up getting a nose job. She uh, got a new nose. Got a new <laughs> nose on vacation. I'm really jealous, and I have never been like, 
confident enough to actually do it, but I've been thinking about doing it for 40 years. Oh my gosh, Bert is jealous of me. So jealous. I know, I kept it a secret just because I wanted to be able to talk and explain things on my own time because plastic surgery, it's it's 50% physical recovery, but I think it's also 50% emotional because if you come out with a nose that you weren't expecting, it's not really something you want to like tell everyone about. And it's been funny. I've been going out and, you know, grocery shopping and stuff and Bert, I can tell who... Uh, listens to the show because they'll go, oh, you look really good today, which is what I told everybody on air to say when someone notices you get plastic surgery. And now I've had to talk about it so much because I go, thanks, P1, I got a nose job. <laughs> so I figured now would be a great time to be able to talk about my entire experience and answer any questions that I've been getting in my DMs, if y'all had any questions, and then we could just put this nose thing to bed because now this is my new face. Yes, This is just how it's always been. So I have been planning to get my nose was done for like 18 months. So I made my first consultation in the summer of last year and it took me six months to get into this doctor. If you go to like a very highly regarded rhinoplasty person, it can take literally an entire year just for you to be able to get your surgery. I can understand that because rhinoplasty is one of those um, one of those procedures that can literally alter your entire face. Like you can come out mm-hmm. looking like a completely different person. Yeah, like that and a bad facelift. Mm-hmm. So last year I made the appointment, I get in and it was like at this very bougie plastic surgery place where everyone goes and I was really like had a lot of high hopes and I go and I had a horrible experience which sucks because these consultations are aren't free. You have to pay for them. And I was like, well, if I don't like you, who do I go to? And ironically, the exact same day that I went, my friend from high school put me on her close friend stories out of nowhere and said, happy 10 years to my new nose. And so I DM'd her. I was like, girlfriend, where did you go? Mm -hmm. And she referred me to the doctor that I actually went to who I liked 10 times more. And it was literally like a third of the cost. It was so much cheaper. So I was like, perfect. I found my person. So then I ended up booking it in July for December. And the day of surgery, I have never been so scared in my entire life. You show up to the surgery center, which by the way, I went to somewhere in like the middle of Florida. The surgery center, I kid you not, was a refurbished Walgreens. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't know because the surgery center is is not the same location as the place where you get your consultation because the consultation place I went to was in this old neighborhood I used to live in. It's, you know, it's a nice little doctor's office and then you roll up to rural Florida and on the side of the road, it's this old Walgreens looking place and it's like, welcome to Middleburg Surgery Center. (laughs) And so I rolled up in my silky pajamas like, what the hell did I just sign up for? (laughs) They bring you to the back and they make you you put like a like a little uh, hospital gown on, and I literally felt like we were pigs going in for slaughter. Because it's just all these girls waiting to get pretty. Shut and up! You're all just lined up. You're just all lined up in the back, and you've got the only thing separating you is are these curtains, and you all just look like fresh little infants with your uh, with your <laughs> surgical cap on. He's just banging out nose after nose after nose. Literally. So right <laughs> right before I went in for my nose, somebody else was coming out. So it's like fast food in a way, where like one guy goes like leaves the surgery center and then your surgeon's like, are you ready? And you're like, I guess. And then they wheel you back in sort of like, um, sort of like a, at an amusement park when you're going in for a ride and you're passing the people that are coming back and then you go in, they just wheel you back. And I'm terrified because as I mentioned, I didn't know what my nose was going to look like because somebody was supposed to send me pictures. I didn't know that. And they, they didn't. So like he's wheeling me back and I'm like, what's my nose going to look like? And he's like, shut up. Here's the IV. Wow. <laughs> I'm just no, he, uh, he showed me photos and I was like, well, I guess it's the only thing on the menu. So <laughs> put me out, doc. And then I woke up 
sobbing because of the drugs, but then also because your last memory is someone's about to cut my face open and I don't know what my nose is going to look like. So I'm like sobbing. I go home and I am the kind of person that doesn't even take Advil when I have like a migraine. So I was like, I'll I'll wait for the pain meds, which was a mistake. You never you you don't want to you don't want to chase the pain. No, you don't want to chase get, the pain. Get in front of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta stay ahead of it. Yeah. So I start popping my pills once I start feeling the pain. That was a mistake because I was in so much pain. You're so paranoid because you can't roll over in your sleep because then you'll screw up your nose. Because even now I'm three weeks out. If if someone knocks my nose the wrong way, I'm it's I'm screwed. I'm SOL. How so, long does it take to harden? Six weeks. Oof. So I'm gonna be mm. in this state of paranoia for six weeks. So you have to sleep upright like a vampire mm. with an airplane pillow so you don't roll over and knock yourself. So no dodgeball or kickball anytime soon. Yep, no pickleball, <laughs> no tennis. I'm really out of here. And then you wake up every hour on the hour because you're so afraid you're gonna like pass out and ruin it. Um, thank God I'm finally getting good sleep. But yeah, other than that, you get your nose cast off. You look somewhat freaky. And then every day the swelling goes down. But other than that, my my nose, I can breathe the same way. I smell the same way. And I'm really glad that I did it. So Fascinating. I, mm-hmm. I checked it out about seven or eight years ago. And I went to a doctor and told him what I wanted on my nose. And they took a picture of it and then like CGI'd it to show me what it would look like when it was done. Yep. They did not do that with you? I got it. So I went to three different doctors because I wanted to see what everyone was going to say and also find out who's going to be the cheapest. And there was a doctor here that CGI'd it. And that's how I was kind of like, okay, that looks, Ah. it looks basically like it looks now. Wow. Um, And the other crazy fun fact I found uh, out about rhinoplasty, they have to put cocaine in your nose when when you get the surgery done. I thought my doctor was joking. He's like, oh yeah, we're going to stitch you up and then put, put the Cocaine, cocaine up there. There's Get medicinal cocaine. Yep. Is that it, right? it opens up the air passages. Yeah. Damn, you got transported, transported back to the 80s. <laughs> First time doing blow and I didn't even get to remember it. <laughs> hey. The Burt Show. It's time to get buzzed on the hot goss from Hollywood with Abby. It's the Burt Show's entertainment buzz. I'm going to need y'all to be serious. This is a serious story. Serious news. Bringing it in. Jonathan Majors is opening up about his guilty verdict on Good Morning America. So if you haven't been keeping up with the story, a jury found him guilty of reckless assault, a misdemeanor, and harassment of his ex-girlfriend, Grace Jabbery. He says that this is a verdict that shocked him. I was uh, I was absolutely shocked and um, afraid. And I'm standing there, and the verdict comes down. I say, how, how how is how is that possible? Based off the evidence, based off the prosecution's evidence, let alone our evidence, how is that possible? And he also denies injuring his ex at all. She says, inside the car, you hit her in the face, yeah. twist her arm behind her back, fracture her middle finger. Yeah. That did not happen. How did those injuries come about? I, I wish to God I knew. That would give clarity. That would give me some type of peace about it. But you're confident you didn't cause I have no them. question. So she definitely obtained those injuries because you have proof from the hospital, right? He's just saying he was not the one that gave her those injuries. Exactly. That's what he's saying. And so as a result, he, there's been so much controversy with this entire case that he's actually been dropped by all Marvel films. You think you'll ever work in Hollywood again? Yeah, yeah, I do. I pray I do, but it's uh, it's God's plan and God's timing. What would you say? I mean, do you deserve a, a second chance? Well, I think I do. I hope other people think that. 
I didn't quite understand it because my son is at a different level than I am when it comes to Marvel movies and stuff like that. But apparently him not being in these next installment of Marvel movies is like a really huge deal. Yeah, so he appeared, especially in Loki, um, the TV show, as a main character. And it was about to sort of launch into the next phase where he would have essentially almost been the new Thanos, yeah. in a way. Whoa. Yeah, he, w- wow. he was a main pivotal character, bad guy, like that everything was going to function around. So for him to be dropped is a very major decision by Marvel and a big, big deal. So one of the most controversial things I think he said in this interview was he actually compared his new girlfriend, Meg. Megan Good to Coretta Scott King. Oh. Now, a lot of people have felt... <laughs> my, <laughs> sorry. That was my... That was out loud. And, <laughs> that's how I felt when I saw the interview. So a lot of people have felt some type of way about her standing by Jonathan throughout this entire case because it's a domestic violence trial. He's being accused, well, and now convicted of hurting his ex-girlfriend. So wait, so by comparing her to Coretta Scott King, does that mean he's indirectly comparing himself to MLK? I think so. I don't think so. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's just a thing with him because this is the third time he's used her name. It's, it's, it's like some type of obsession with him wanting a woman to treat him the way that he believed Coretta treated Martin Luther King. Mm. So in this interview, he compares Megan to Coretta Scott King, and then I will play you the clip where he does compare himself to MLK. Major's new girlfriend, actress Megan Good, has remained by his side, even present for our interview. How would you describe your relationship? She's an angel. She's held me down like like a like a, like a Coretta, you know. I'm so blessed to have her, you know. The relationship is still fresh, but you know, I think I, I found her. So as a part of this case, Jonathan wanted his ex-girlfriend to act in that kind of way with these uh, with these uh, very high-profile women like Michelle Obama and Coretta Scott King. And the journalist was like, why were you trying to compare your ex to these women? As you're probably well aware, that, that people were saying, well, why was he telling this woman to be like Coretta Scott King and, and Michelle Obama? It was me trying to give an analogy of, of what it is I'm aspiring to be, you know, these great men, Martin, President Obama, um, and trying to give a reference point to that. One of the things I also say is like, I need her, in that case Grace, to make the same sacrifices that I am making. So they haven't even been dating a year. Well, in this, that clip that we just played, that was about his ex-girlfriend that he is now convicted of hurting. But um, even comparing his current to Coretta, like they haven't even been dating a year. And he, I, I'm just, the whole thing is very mind-boggling. It, it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. He, he had this obsession with his ex and saying that he wanted her to treat him like Coretta. And then now with Megan, and it, like you said, it, it hasn't been a year. And in that pause... I really do believe the entire black community was saying, don't say Coretta, don't say Coretta. <laughs> and then you can even see that he tried to find something else, but Coretta came out. And I I don't get why he keeps using Coretta. And I'm pretty sure if Martin Luther King was here, he would have had a Will Smith moment. But keep my wife's <laughs> name out your mouth. <laughs> Please, stop. So is he going to jail now? Um, I, I, I don't know yet. Okay. Uh, okay. He just, he divorced his wife one hour after she gave birth. But was he the a-hole? We'll discuss on your next eBuzz on The Bird Show. The Bird Show. A wife wants to extract 
do I say it? Swimmers from her deceased husband so she can have a <laughs> child without him. Now, I am vehemently against this, but I will recognize that this woman has endured immeasurable grief. I understand why she wants to do this, but I still don't agree with the fact that a person should be allowed to do this, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to break down the story for you. We're going to use proper terminology. for So heads up for parents if you don't want your kids to know proper terminology, okay? So a 62-year-old grieving widow. There's a lot to chew on here. There, it's layered, okay? Okay. A 62-year-old grieving widow in Australia has won the right to extract sperm from her dead husband. Whoa. So the couple who had been married for 39 years sadly lost their two adult children in separate accidents. Oh, God. I know. It's it's heartbreaking. It really is. Um, And this move is her final attempt to have a child with her husband, whom she was trying to conceive with when he suddenly died at 61 at their home. So the day after he died... Um, the woman who currently remains unnamed due to legal reasons, she had an urgent hearing in front of the Supreme Court and they granted the woman permission to have a spermatozoa tissue removed from her late husband. So she got it, right? His body had been stored at a morgue in Perth. And during the hearing, she argued that for years, she and her, dis- her husband had regularly discussed having another child after their firstborn a 30-year-old son died in a car accident, and then their second child um, drowned in a f- on a fishing trip. Like, again, <sighs> it's just tragic. Like, it's wow. horrible. So this 62-year-old woman was told by a fertility expert that she's past the age of having a child. However, her husband's sperm, still good to go. And doctors determined that he was a suitable candidate for IVF, in vitro fertilization, so they could implant... Um, get a donor egg, use his sperm, and implant it in a surrogate. And that's what they were, you know, planning to do. So now despite winning her case and the fact that she was able to get her her husband's gunk, um, she now has to face another legal battle, and that is trying to use her husband's sperm to have a baby because he's no longer here to give consent. Oh, my God. So the whole thing, again, very layered. There's a lot of tragedy and I mean, it is, it is heartbreaking. And I'm, I'm, you know, I can't, I don't even want to put myself in her shoes because I couldn't fathom losing both your children and then losing your husband. Like that's just, it's heart wrenching and heartbreaking, but to, in any circumstance, when the person is deceased and they can't give permission, like if this was in the will, by all means, um, i Dude, you can't like you can't go in there snagging stuff, you know, snagging stuff without without consent. I mean, like Mo, put yourself in this position, mm-hmm. and it's your wife, and you want to go in there and extract eggs to have a baby with her post mortem. Well, I'm I'm torn because if it's that way, I'm not doing it. If I'm not doing it to her, to mm-hmm. my wife, like that. It doesn't feel right, regardless of the circumstances. It really just doesn't feel right. And he's, she's not here to help raise the child. Right. But if I'm the guy, if I'm the deceased, and these are the circumstances with all of the tra- tragedy involved, I wouldn't be mad. I, I, You'd be I, looking like your ghostly spirit would be over there like, get your gunk, girl. Do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> Do what you got to do.
Do what you gotta do. Get that turkey baster. I really would. <laughs> to me, I don't understand how this is any different than you obtaining sperm via sperm donor. So don't donor. So if she has the right to have the sperm, I don't understand why she doesn't have the right to do whatever she wants with it. Well, it, he has to consent for his sperm to be used because it's got to be consensual, his body, his choice kind of thing. So when you go get a sperm donor, these men have donated their sperm, signed paperwork like they're they are handing it over for anybody to use. You know, he he technically did not do that. For me, it's because they had been trying and they were going to go down this route. You know, like, that is the husband's wish anyway. The only difference is he's not in the picture. So I'm like, have at it. If it makes her happy, he's not going to be an, any like a none the wiser. He was already in it to win it. Now, if you're talking about he said he didn't want more children at all, like mm-hmm. he was done. I think that would be a different story because then it's like, well, he was alive. He already implied he was consenting to having another baby. And if he had said no, then you're going against his wishes. But let the woman have the little swimmers. Okay, so think about her. But now let's think about the child. Is that fair to the child? Um, She's 62. Dad is not in the picture. Here's my thing. By the time this court case is even done, I don't even think a pregnancy is a viable option. And I hate saying that because it breaks my heart for her. Because I, if I was in her position and this is how I was grieving, I, I can't say that I wouldn't do the same thing. But yeah. I, I don't even think that this is even going to happen, if I'm honest with you. She's going to be 63, 64 by the time she maybe miraculously gets pregnant. And then oh, if no, she, they're, she, they're doing a surrogate. Oh, a surrogate. Yeah. No, she can't carry... They're going to use like it, it would be it would just be her husband's sperm. And they they were trying to find a surrogate. But does she have viable eggs that she can use? I don't think so. They'd probably have to use a donor mm. egg. Gotcha. And what's interesting, though, is because if she's 62, like let's say she had that baby or the surrogate had it now, the kid would be 18 when she turns 80. So for me, I'm like, you got to make sure that your life is going to last long enough to mm-hmm. take care of a child while they're under the age of 18, especially if there's no other family that could pick up the slack if you happen mm-hmm. to die. If, if I'm being honest, I, I don't think it's fair to the child. Not, yeah. not not that situation. Dad's not there. You'll never get to meet your dad. I mean, who wants to live a life that way? She's 62. It, it, it doesn't feel fair to the child. Yeah, like I can understand in this, like, I mean, her husband just passed. Like, I feel like this is part of the grieving process for her. But I was like... I'm like, is is this something we got to put in our wills now? Like, I have to put in my will if I die. Sorry, Bart, but you can't go harvesting eggs. (laughs) You can't go, like, up in the the hen house, like, plucking out my eggs. Yeah, I think we're going to have to. And I think with her, like, it's the question every parent has to ask themselves. Would I want this child, would I want to be born into the same circumstances that I'm giving my child? So she needs to ask herself that. Hey, y'all, it's Katie here from The Bird Show. Pride unites us all, and so does Atlanta United. That's why I'm giving you the chance to win a spot in The Bird Show's Pride Night Suite in celebration of Pride Month. That's right. Join me and The Bird Show crew on Sunday, June 2nd, as Atlanta United takes on the fierce rival, Charlotte FC, with kickoff at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We need to beat Charlotte, so we will be loud and proud. Believe that. Oh, and by the way, did I mention Atlanta United is giving away a -a one-of-a-kind pride-inspired towel, plus a $5 donation to Lost and Found Youth, an Atlanta-based nonprofit that provides services to the LGBTQ plus youth, which is included with your Pride Night ticket pack. Remember, to enter for your chance to win a spot in the Bird Show's Pride Night Suite, head over to thebirdshow.com. To guarantee your tickets and Pride towel, go to atlutd.com and click the promotional packs tab for more details. Can't wait to see you all there June 2nd at 4.30 p.m. Together, we are Atlanta. Atlanta United. See you there.
If you're looking for somewhere to celebrate, whether it be a birthday or a graduation or anniversary, may I recommend an Atlanta United match? So my husband and I just celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary. He is a massive Atlanta United fan. So of course, we decided to go to a match at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and had the best time. I'm telling you, if you're a super fan, if you're a casual fan, going to an Atlanta United match is a great way to celebrate. My husband got to watch a great match and I got to enjoy delicious wine. And I also may have gone to the team shop and got myself a new sweatshirt. I'm very excited about my new Atlanta United sweatshirt. (laughs) And kudos to Atlanta's fan base because every time we ride Marta to go down to a match, it is packed full of people wearing their Atlanta United gear. Visit atlutd.com for tickets and also for the match schedule. That's atlutd.com. Are you looking for excitement in Atlanta? Well, you got it right down the street at Mercedes-Benz. That's where Atlanta United plays. And I've been telling you for years, it's one of the most exciting nights that you will have with your family. Soccer is different. It's just different than going to a football game, baseball game. There is no downtime. I mean, the excitement lasts the entire game at an Atlanta United match. And it doesn't even matter if you're really, really into soccer or not. I'll tell you one way to get into soccer. Just go to one Atlanta United game and you will get caught up in the excitement so much that you'll become a lifelong fan. I'm telling you this right now. I love bringing my son Hollis there. I love bringing his friends there. I know it's going to be a safe family event, and I know I'm going to walk out of there. I got some memories now with my kids. So don't look any further. You got one of the best soccer teams in the country right here in our own backyard, Atlanta United. Just give it one try, Atlanta United. You can always get your tickets at atlutd.com. The Bird Show. So one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do is to let your pet go coming to that realization and especially if they don't go on their own and you have to help you know make that decision for them and now incorporate kids into the mix and Cassie was conflicted as to you know as to how to handle explaining to her kids what's happening to your all's family dog yeah we I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and um it's going to be so weird. We've had our dog for 15 years, almost the entire relationship between me and my husband. We live in the house we live in now because of our dogs. We chose it because of a yard. So it's really bizarre going from having two dogs to in the space of three years, having no dogs. Um, we're trading them out for kids instead. <laughs> but we lost one of our dogs when my daughter was very, very young and I was pregnant with my second. So we didn't ever say anything because she was so young. We're like, no, she won't remember. She's under the age of two but now that they've been around our other dog more and my son especially really loves her and they'll say hi calliope and they'll talk to her and stuff and i mean you know how kids are with dogs calliope is really old and sick she has a tumor she has cushing's disease she has all this stuff and in conversations with the vet it's looking like the most humane thing to do would be to Uh, put her down and sort of take her out of her pain because she's constantly in pain. That's a whole different conversation on trying to figure out when the right timing of that is. But I asked you guys, how do you tell young kids that this is happening, especially because my kids don't really know about death yet? I mean, there um, there was a recommendation from you guys saying have them watch the Bluey episode about the bird. Mm-hmm. And there's a specific one. If you've seen Bluey, you know what I'm talking about. And they've seen that, but it doesn't really register. And I honestly did not want to talk to them about death or dying yet this young. 
But my friend Brianna made a really good point. She had to go through this, uh, through this with her family dog, Indy, and she said, you know, she was grateful for the gift that the dog gave them and Indy gave them in easing her kids into the idea of dying before it happened to a family member down the line. Mm-hmm. And that really, like, adjusted how I looked at it. So I'm like, from going from this, like, oh, God, traumatic experience to, oh, actually, this is a gift Clybe is giving us. So, you know... And not like I'm expecting it anytime soon, but as they get older, they're acquainted with the idea of it and they understand that lives are finite. So here's what um, you guys said. I'm going to sum it up real quick and I'll read some of your comments. Thank you to everyone who left a, a comment on our Facebook page. People were nice on Facebook. Oh, they were so nice. They were so nice. They had the lovely suggestions. They also even warned about certain things, but they did it in such a like a lovingly way. They were... Y'all were fantastic. There's no way. Yeah, (laughs) so nice. There were two main themes that Mm -hmm. kept recurring, and thank you for everyone saying this, because I originally had said, we're going to put Clyde to sleep. She's going to go to sleep for a long time, and everyone's like, don't tell them they're going to sleep. Um, Shell Heck said she's a children's grief center volunteer and licensed medical social worker and therapist. She said, don't tell them your dog went to sleep. Kids will often then have fears of going to sleep because mm. they think they might not wake up or they don't want you or loved ones to go to sleep because of that fear, especially at a young age when they don't know what death is, but they do know what sleep is. Makes mm. total sense. Mm-hmm. Makes Never would have thought of it, but makes total sense. Nope. So she said, use the correct words. Keep it simple. Um, Jennifer had the idea is I told my uh, 14-year-old that our dog was very old. We knew she had cancer and to love her like crazy because she would be getting her wings soon. She didn't tell her about the actual appointment, but waited to tell, tell her after that she had passed away. So that gave me the idea to go ahead and start prepping them now instead of being like, hey, tomorrow Calliope's not going to be around anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can sort of plant the seeds now so they're prepared for it. Uh, Jenny Bedall says children should be told everything in a language of age appropriate language and prepared accordingly for all things in life, which is... Uh, uh, something I believe in as well. It just feels so different when it's something heavy and they're mm-hmm. so innocent. It's Sh- your mama heart wanting to protect them because yeah. you don't want your kids to feel pain and losing a pet is painful. Well, and I think also it's the cognitive leap of if my pet dies, do I one day die? Mm. And I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to think about it, yeah. but I don't want to talk to them about it. Shelby Weiss uh, suggested reading The Invisible Leash and it's a book that helps them understand losing a pet. And the other big thing was definitely let them say goodbye. Dolores Becker says, my parents put my dog down when I was a kid without telling us. And I was mad and upset that I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye. And somebody else mentioned they've still never forgiven their dad for not telling them about their their German Shepherd being put down. And they're still angry about it years later. Because that's one thing you were really struggling with, whether or not to let them... um to have them say goodbye. I wanted it to be like the least traumatic thing. I was like, sure. maybe if they just find out after, like, mm. oh, it just happened. She mm. wanted to go live on a farm. But that is, it's not chickening out. It's just, it is protecting them. And I know as a parent, you can't always keep them in a protected bubble. Now on the flip side, my kids are so young. I just wanted to read a couple of comments that don't support all of those. Um, Tracy Lang says, as a vet professional, if your children are very young, tell them after. While it's a big peaceful procedure, we all do our best to make it as comfortable as possible for everyone. It's difficult for kids to see and things do happen. And sometimes they're not ideal for young children to witness. 
Older children can understand a bit of what's happening and why, but young kids seem to be confused and upset. And then Cheryl Osler says four and two is too young. They can't comprehend death. Uh, my grandson is still expecting his uncle to come see him, and he was three and a half years old, and now he's six, and he still asks when uncle is coming to see him. So I think it, it's based on the age. So I think what we're going to do, thanks to y'all's comments, is I'm going to sort of plant the seed with them, tell them to love on her, mm-hmm. and then... Um, I don't know. I've got to talk with my husband about whether or not we're going to just, you know, say your goodbyes over the next couple of weeks and mm-hmm. tell them when it's happening or just be like, hey, it happened today. Gotcha. Again, I'm so sorry. Thanks. Thanks. Thank but you. again, she's 15. She's 15. She had a long, yeah. great life. You know, it's it is what it is. That's what you get into. You don't really think yeah. about it when you adopt a pet at, at the end. And that's just our lives have changed so much. We have two young kids. She's old and tired. She doesn't need mm. the kids in her face all the time either. But it's it sucks. Well, it she's really does. Very fortunate to have you guys as her family. Oh, thank you. The Bird Show. All right. So the money would be nice that she's about to receive, but she also knows. It's coming from a racist. Should she take it or not? If you ever have a dilemma, um, you can always shoot us an email. Go to thebirtshow.com. Hit us up. We'll, you know, we'll throw it out there to our Burt Show fam and try to help you out as best we can. So this one says, hi, Burt Show. I am a high school senior and I will be applying to colleges and for scholarships soon. God, y'all remember that process? Yes. Going to see your school counselor in high school and getting all that paperwork and having to fill it out and then waiting until the very last second to fill out everything. <laughs> <laughs> what, I have an hour left? Okay, perfect timing. Exactly. I am having a disagreement with my parents regarding one possible scholarship. I am eligible for this scholarship because of an ancestor that was a confederate. And it's scholarship money from an organization that promotes the grand history of the Confederacy. I can't stomach their beliefs and I do not want to apply for their scholarship nor use their money to go to college. My parents think any money is good money and that getting one of these scholarships doesn't say anything about me as a person, but I completely disagree. I think it would imply that I was proud of my Confederate ancestors, which I am not, and that I support this organization, which I do not. Am I being too PC or are my parents wrong in not considering the source of this possible money, Jennifer? That's tough. Should oh. I should I even bother asking you, Mo, if you take this money? <laughs> be like, damn straight, I'm taking Confederate money. You owe me. <laughs> Listen, um, I understand where her mom is coming from. I do. I get it. But at the same time, I don't believe that you taking this money is an admission of believing in what they believed in. I don't see it that way. That that had nothing to do with you. Money knows no color. All money is green. And I would gladly put this in the reparations fund and feel like you was old anyway. That's what I would do. Because it's, it's one thing if you are doing something that's going to provide them money. Right. But you're actually taking money from them. It's going to support you and what you need. Scholarships are not the easiest to come by. And unfortunately, every person who did wrong in the racist department is not always going to have an opportunity to fix it or to do something about it. And whether they know they're doing something about it or not is irrelevant. I think you can proudly take that money and yeah, and use it for whatever you need it for. My question is, when you apply for a scholarship, usually you have to have some kind of qualifications. Either you have to write an essay or you have to uh, fit a certain mold. And so my question is, what are what is the criteria for this scholarship? Like, do you have to write an essay about the grand history of the Confederacy uh. to get this money? Then my vote would be absolutely not. 
On the other hand, if you just have to like fill out a form and they're gonna be like, here's 50K, go get your education, then I think that's more of a gray area. But at the end of the day, you're the person who has to live with yourself. And if you mm-hmm. feel like this is taking blood money in a way, yeah. don't do it. It's gonna it's gonna live in your conscience. And there's a thousand other scholarships that you can apply for. Or do it like this. Pay it forward, but down the road. So take the money and then go to school, graduate. And then whatever the amount of the money of the scholarship money was, when you are in a more financially stable place, even if that's 20, 30 years down the road, donate it to Mm. an organization that supports equality, diversity, and is, you know, anti-racist. That's a beautiful idea. I, that, I mean, that's because, and I know right now, you know, honey, you know, money is, is hard to come by, especially being, um, a, you know, a poor college student. But if you, if, if you're honest with yourself and you actually do this down the road, I think that's a way for you to take the money and not feel as guilty about it. Also, if you take the money, you might be keeping it out of an actual racist's hands. Yeah. Oh, because if, it, if it's a Confederate thing and somebody is really proud of their Confederate heritage and has those beliefs, you want that money to go to them? Or would you rather take that money and, like Kristen said, down the line, put it towards a cause that can battle that and be sort of like an, a spy in the like, enemy <laughs> camp? You know what I mean? I would take that money. Applying to be a spy. Yeah, I think my only other hang up with it too is I know I won a scholarship for the Rotary Club back when I was in high school. And as a result, they put me on like a big billboard. It said, uh, I had like my face on it next to the Rotary logo. So you also have to consider like, what are the repercussions? Oh. Are you now going to be the face of the Confederacy? Like, hell nah. That's so a good point. Just, okay. just do your research before you apply. Okay, that's smart. But I think if we're going to go around the horn one more time, I'm like, I... I suggest take the money and then when you're able to pay it forward down the road to an organization you you care for and believe in. Take the money. And even if they do make you the face of the organization, hold a little press conference and condemn it. Ooh. You can do so much damage from the inside. I, th- I agree. I agree 100%. You should take every dollar that's available. Hell yeah. Take the money. Take the money and run it. The Burt Show. Time to get buzzed on the hot goss from Hollywood with Abby. It's the Burt Show's entertainment buzz. Lightweight boxing champion Ryan Garcia had some good news and he had some bad news for his followers on Instagram. The good news, he just welcomed his second baby with his wife. His name is Henry Leo. We're so cute. We're so excited. (laughs) Congrats being a father again. The bad news is is he's divorcing his wife. And he posted about this an hour after his son was born. So he posted on Instagram. He said, honor to announce my beautiful firstborn son. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful. I love him so much already. He's so fast already. Took him just eight minutes to arrive. You know where he got that speed from, LOL. God did and God will. Thank you, Lord. I love you. And then he dropped the bomb on his followers. He said, as I step into a new chapter in my life, it's with a heavy heart to share that Drea and I have decided to divorce. While this decision marks the end of our marriage, it's important to emphasize that our relationship as co-parents remains our top priority, blah, 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 privacy. Okay, so maybe he he didn't like drop the divorce bomb on on her like while she's still waiting on the afterbirth to come out, but <laughs> the placenta has not left the building <laughs> and she is signing divorce papers. Mm-hmm. But that like from a social media standpoint and like Cassie, who you oversee our social media department, that doesn't seem very social media savvy to, or maybe it is because we're talking about it 
to one hour post that your wife just gave birth and then an hour later post that you're getting a divorce? No, I would have put more. I'm shocked he did that. I Something tells me that they had had conversations beforehand and some publicist like convinced him to wait until after the birth. And they probably meant like a few months. And he's like, nope out the gate like <laughs> you should have waited a little bit like let the announcement of your child breathe yeah I understand the purpose of why having to do it so quick i don't get it either I, I don't know why you couldn't just let one announcement live and then have the other one later the only thing that makes me think that why someone would do that is if you were really angry like mm. something really pissed you off and it was so emotional for you that you was like no i want the entire world to know that we are no longer together we were talking about this during yeah. commercial break i'm like if that baby that comes baby out you came out black <laughs> <laughs> I did the same exact thing. <laughs> we, we are done. <laughs> it wouldn't have taken an hour. <laughs> I will say this Instagram post feels very even keeled. It doesn't feel like this is an angry person. He yeah. might just be hiding it well. But honestly, I'm like, not. I'm like, who really cares? You know, I, I, I don't follow boxing, so I'm not like super invested in this guy's relationship. So they could have gotten divorced. Literally nobody would have been the wiser. Yeah, it, Mo, you, you do follow boxing. Mm-hmm. Is this like typical of him or is this out of pocket? Uh, he, well, he's he is a boxer and he's a pretty decent boxer, but he's more of a YouTube star than a oh, boxing man. star. Like in a way, he gained his fame from really being on YouTube more so than actually being in the ring. So a lot of boxers don't respect him as much as they respect the boxers who really came up outside of YouTube. So it kind of is because he does things that will, you know, increase the, the algorithm, if you will. Something just hit me. What? If I was her, his wife, mm-hmm. soon to be ex-wife, the woman that literally just gave birth, and then an hour later, you're posting we're getting a divorce, and now I'm in the hospital getting all these text messages and having to field all these questions <gasps> about an impending divorce, I would be livid. Well, do you think they're, everybody in their personal life knows already? Even if everybody in their personal life knows, there's still those people, like, once it goes public, you're going to get bombarded mm-hmm. um, from, like, from all angles. Like, your hairstylist might hit you up. or like You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just... So, the last thing you should be having to field is questions about your divorce when they're still sewing you up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She wants to be really vindictive, though. She's the patient. She can say, no visitors, including Ooh. him. Because the baby's oh, yeah. usually in the room with you as a mom, unless you let them take the kid out to the nursery to sleep or for a quick check checkup. But they do most of the stuff in the room. So no visitors. You're not allowed in. I mean, maybe she gave him the go ahead. Like they agreed to release this. I would hope that's the case. Um but yeah, man, if he didn't and went rogue and posted that and then like mm. blindsided her with it, because um, I have a, my, the, the reason why all this came flooding back is one of my good friends, her ex-husband posted about their divorce on Facebook but and she didn't give her a heads up. <gasps> yes. And so she just started getting pounded with messages. Like, yeah, her, her close circle knew, but not everybody knew. Didn't give her a heads up. Didn't he just he went and decided to go ahead and make the announcement on Facebook that the two of them were getting a divorce? Oh wow. Uh huh. That is low. It's trash. Question about the hospital process: Can you say no visitors even to your husband after you've given birth? You can't. So I think he would. Pro- I mean, someone could answer better. I'm sure he would still have a right to see the child. But if the child is in the room with you and you, as a patient, because you're also a patient, say no visitors, he should not be allowed in your room. I wonder how many people have actually pulled that card because if you have like a fight in the early days of parenthood, get out of here. All right, well, we'll ask. 1-855-BIRT-SHOW, 855-237-8746. If you've ever been the one to give birth and something 
piss you off big time, <laughs> and you're like, no visitors for me or the baby. <laughs> for more stories, head to the Burt Show podcast on your favorite listening platform. The Burt Show. Right before the commercial break, I asked if there was anybody who had kicked somebody out of the delivery room or actually put a ban on them, and I think we're all about to learn something. Burt Show, Martha, thanks for joining us. So you actually pulled the card. You pulled the get the hell out of my hospital room card. Technically, we weren't married at the time, so we were only dating. Uh-huh. Um, and we weren't even on speaking terms. And I put him on the list of someone that wasn't even allowed on property. <gasps> he wasn't even allowed on property. Girl, yeah, so what happened? Before, before the baby was born, um, and I did it as a precaution to make sure that he wasn't even allowed there. And what what was the reason behind that? There was legal things and stuff that had happened with the police prior to the actual birth. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that there was nothing that was going to happen the day of. And I had heard about this through a, a friend of mine. Um, and so we made sure that as soon as I was checked in, this was one of the first things that happened. So this was purely just for safety precautions. Exactly, exactly. But I do know that when you put them on that list, now I don't know if it counts if you're married, but if you do put them on that list, it does not give them access to the baby either. Gotcha. Mm. Was and would was he any the wiser? Like, I mean, did he show up and then they, did they have to say, "I'm sorry, you're not admitted"? I mean, thank God, no, we okay. didn't even have to go down that route. Okay. We didn't even attempt to show up, but I just made sure just in case. Gotcha. And how's everything now? Uh, we don't speak. Gotcha. So I'm still okay with that, um, but I just didn't even want to have to think about that. Like y'all said, going through the mm-hmm. the birthing process and everything that was happening, it was not something that I even wanted to have to worry about. There were so many more important things. For sure. All right. Well, we're so glad. Uh, congratulations on the baby. Thank you. I'm not sure how long ago it was. They could be 18 now, but whatever. Congratulations <laughs> on the baby. Yeah, he's, he's definitely 12. Okay. Oh. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm glad you had um, a, a, a smooth birth from at least that aspect because you deserve that. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks, Martha. All right, we're going to have, uh, we're going to get Dr. Brooke Fought on here. She's a sex medicine provider in Nashville because one of our Burt Show listeners hit us up with an email and she says that her husband's just pulling the same basic moves in the bedroom and she'd really like to kick it up a notch. But how do you have that conversation with your partner without making them feel some sort of way? And I'm going to give the kid warning because we're going to have some discussion of adult intimacy and pi- piano playing ahead. Uh-huh, that's why we have a, a sex medicine provider on mm-hmm. with us. <laughs> just in case you missed that memo. Uh-huh. Hey, Bird Show, I need a safe space for this as I can't really discuss it with anyone I know. So my husband and I have been together for 10 years and he's amazing. There are some problems just like any marriage, but we've always gotten through them. We recently had some family drama outside our home and how we've moved forward from it has really kind of changed the dynamic of our relationship. I think we both resent each other over the whole thing. To be honest, we've been through dry spells before when it comes to intimacy, but damn, the last like four to six months have been the worst. He never initiates, and if he does, it's the same old move of him waiting for me to roll over to go to bed, and then he starts grabbing my booty. (laughs) (laughs) I pretended I'm asleep because that does nothing for me after 10 years. 
I've made some suggestions of things we could try or things he could do that would get me in the mood. And he just continues to stick with the very routine experience. So she needs something unique to get everything kicked off. Gotta get the juices flowing somehow. Mm -hmm. Last night, I finally just had a good cry after. I love him so much. We are great parents and great friends and I don't want anyone else, but I need passion and chemistry. There are days we barely even talk to each other. I'm so scared our marriage is starting to fail. Mm -hmm. I have no one to talk to about it and while I would never, ever cheat on him or hurt him intentionally, I'm catching myself wanting to talk to other people or get some sort of flirty energy and feel sexy. I just don't know what to do or what to think or what else to try other than marriage counseling, which is in the works. If anyone has been through this, I would love advice. I was a very, all caps, sexual person before him and I got together. I'm bisexual and I always told him I'd love an experience with both, but he's not into sharing. We've talked about an open marriage and again, he's not a sharer. And to be honest, I don't think I'd like it either. I feel I have no choice other than just to settle for what we have sexually. And I know it can be great. It's just been so long since it has been. Ugh, help, Charlie. All right, so let's get Dr. Brooke Fott on, a sex medicine provider in Nashville. Hey, Dr. Fott, how are you? Good morning. I'm good. How about you all? We're doing great. Is there anything you can do to help our listener, Charlie, out with communicating with her partner about what she needs in the bedroom? Yeah, for sure. This is such a common thing that I hear in my office, and, yeah. and it feels very isolating, you know, because it's, it's a, quote, embarrassing, or there's a topic, there's a stigma associated with sexual matters. Everybody believes that everybody's having great sex all the time, which is a big fat lie. <laughs> um, but the fact that I, I commend her on saying that she tried to kind of show him what turns her on, that that's fantastic. I always say try to lead by example. She could maybe try to step it up a bit and maybe send some flirty pictures or videos if she feels comfortable with that, um, bring some devices or toys into the bedroom and use them alone so that he can see that she still has that sexual appetite and um, this is still important to her. Uh, you know, just anything to kind of not just gently explain, but kind of physically show. And, and uh, you know, there's one patient that, uh, that I suggested, I said, what about even giving a gift of the Kama Sutra, you know, and then saying, hey, let's play and maybe try some of these positions. And that worked really nicely to kind of excite both partners and give them some ideas of ways to kind of change up and spice up some, um, some activities in the bedroom. Gotcha. So instead of like forcing an awkward conversation, you're saying instead of words, let's try to use actions. As, so as far as no, what... I, yeah, and I'm so sorry to cut you off. No. Communication is 100% key. And the reason that I'm suggesting that the kind of physical type mm -hmm. or tangible type of uh, actions is it sounds like she's entered into marriage counseling or about to, which 100%, that's the foundation. Gotcha. Then there's sex therapy. However, I always recommend general marriage counseling. It sounds like there's a few issues they still need to work through, but sex therapy is a different type of therapy that focuses specifically on sexual matters. Mm -hmm. You can definitely address sexual health concerns and, and sexual concerns in general through marriage counseling, but there are certified sex therapists all over the U.S. So I definitely encourage that as well once they get to a place where they feel like that's an appropriate thing. However, if she wants to work on things at home on her own, that's what I would suggest is, you know, stepping it up a, a, a notch and 
trying to get creative, but definitely open communication, maybe even just being a bit more direct too with her verbal communication. Gotcha. No, and I think what's important to point out is at the very beginning of this conversation, you you were like, Charlie's definitely not alone. Like this is something that you have had numerous conversations about um, with fellow patients and not everybody out there is just getting it and getting it good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that is I, correct. Otherwise, I would not be in business. I was about to say, yeah, I probably would put you out of business. Is it? Is there any way with the male ego that you actually can get a man to try to commit to being better in bed without him actually taking it as a slight of who he is? That's a very good question. You know, um, and this is a, a very general blanket statement, but I always joke that Um, When it comes to sex, in many cases, in a heterosexual relationship, men can be kind of blind to sexual cues um, other than just very, very direct, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes trying to tiptoe around the situation can be completely lost in translation. So direct but sensitive communication is really key. And I think focusing on, like she said, it used to be so great and she used to be very sexual. Um, They had that. They have it still. It's just, you know, something's gotten twisted or changed or morphed and so we just have to find that again gotcha thank you so much dr brooke fought for joining us we really appreciate it absolutely have a good day thank you that's why we have a sex expert because you don't want to hear that stuff from us nope, nope. <laughs> don't ask me <laughs> thanks for listening get more bird show fix at the or follow us on social media at the bird show